So, uh, good morning. Happy New Year. Is it, is it too late to say that in the year? Seventh day? You're allowed? Okay. I, I had a conversation the other day with somebody who said, you can do it until the third, and then you can't say Happy New Year anymore. But, but it's the first Sunday of 2024, and that's a really big number. And uh, I thought we'd have flying cars by now, to be honest. 2024? I was like, oh yeah, we're going to have flying cars. But another uh, disappointment we'll have to live with. Or we can look at the, the hopeful side and say, maybe this is the year. Yeah. So a uh, quick question as, as we get started here this morning. Does anybody set goals or make resolutions for a new year? Yeah, a few. Um, the word resolution seems kind of intimidating to me in a Robert's Rules of Order sort of way. You know, we're going to make a resolution here. So uh, I like to think instead in terms of goals. It seems like uh, a lower bar to me. It's like, uh, here are some things I'd like to try to accomplish this year. Here are some areas I'd like to grow in. Uh, here are some, uh, some things I'd like to try. It feels like there's a little less pressure. But I think this, this is still, you know, first, first week of the year, it's still a natural point to take stock of the previous 12 months and look ahead to the next 12 and see where we might want to be. Um, as, as individuals, as families, as organizations. But whether we call them resolutions or goals or intentions, the beginning of a new year is a good place to evaluate and contemplate. Uh, a news report I saw uh, in the past week from Forbes Health said that about a third of Americans make resolutions or set goals for a new year. So about a third of us. And the number one goal among those surveyed, anybody want to guess? Yeah, number one goal is, yeah, along those lines, is physical fitness. So that was, that was number one this year. Last year, uh, improving mental health was number one. So a little, little shift there. So this year, physical fitness, the, the rest of the top five were improved finances, was number two, improve mental health, three, lose weight, and improve diet. So uh, we, we see some themes developing there, and I have to say that the PEEF this past week was a little busier than normal. <laughs> so people are sticking to it, man. That, we're getting that first week. Uh, I, I don't know if I should share this, but I also read that only 6% of resolutions actually make it to the end of the year. So I'd, maybe I won't mention that in the second service, but that's... But in, in the survey conducted by Forbes, I noticed that none of the top five responses that were listed dealt with the spiritual life. None of the top 15, and I think this is indicative of the overall condition of our society. We, in general, don't pay as much attention to spiritual or faith-related matters as we do our bodies and, and money and our surroundings. And I happen to think this is a shortcoming in our culture, right? Uh, we have blinders in this area. The gospel of Jesus teaches that we are physical and spiritual beings. Uh, Pierre Teilhard de Chardin a French Jesuit priest, I'm not going to try to say that twice, but uh, this, this priest put it this way. He said, we are not human beings having a spiritual experience. We are spiritual beings having a human experience. So therefore, tending to the health and formation of our spiritual lives is very important. And if we take time at the beginning of the year to contemplate areas for growth and health and improvement, then physical and mental and financial fitness are all 
good points to consider. These are worthy goals. But it's also vital to tend to the spiritual aspects of our existence as well. Uh, every year, the president gives the State of the Union address. I don't recommend watching it, but, you know, it's, it's there. Uh, read a transcript later. There's, there's less, you know, standing ovations and things like that. But, uh, but I, I think maybe we should take some time to evaluate our own lives and kind of, like, in prayer to God, present our state of my spirit address or state of my soul address. Kind of take stock of where we are. If, if I say I'm a, a child of God, and I am, then what's the state of my relationship with my father, right? If, if I say I'm a follower of Jesus, and I am, what's the state of my journey you know, following him through life to live and love and act as, as he would and as he would have me to do? If I'm a member of God's family, and I am, then what's the state of my relationships with my spiritual sisters and brothers? Like, what is the state of my soul? These are questions that we could ask. And many of us, myself included, would probably say that we have room for improvement in some or all of these areas. And that's not condemnation. It's not criticism. It's just reality. This is, this is life. We're all, we're all somewhere in the process of becoming more like Jesus. And this is work of the Spirit. By the Spirit, God is transforming us into the people he created, to, created us to be. But there are beliefs and behaviors that we can adopt that will help us to move in this direction. They will help to position us to hear what God is speaking, to see where God is leading, and give us the courage and strength to obey. So this morning, I want to narrow in on one of the most important spiritual practices we can incorporate into our lives as we move forward into this new year, as we move forward on our journey toward Christ-likeness, which is God's goal for us. And the practice I want to look at is prayer. And that's a, that's a big topic, right? I have, I have half a bookshelf full of books on prayer. So uh, we, could, we could do like one message on prayer every Sunday for the whole year. We're not going to do that. What I want to do this morning is look at an aspect, a specific aspect of prayer addressed by the Apostle Paul. There's a book in the New Testament called First Thessalonians. This is a letter written by Paul to the followers of Jesus in a city called Thessalonica. And that city still exists today. It's in Greece. It's called, they call it Thessaloniki. So it's a real place. These are real people. Paul was a real guy writing a real letter to these people. And toward the end of that letter, Paul gives some final advice. Like he had some themes that he was developing and then he got to the end and realized, oh, I have, I have some other things I need to tell these people. And he presents them in sort of a bullet point list. So they're things like, honor your leaders. Live peacefully with each other. Be patient with everyone. Always be joyful. Be thankful in all circumstances. There's no elaboration or explanation. It's just a list. And one of Paul's bullet points, uh, and we see this in 1 Thessalonians 5.17, he writes, pray without ceasing. Pray without ceasing, just in, in this list. And that's, that's the English Standard Version. The literal word-for-word -word translation from the original Greek would say, without ceasing, which was one Greek word all by itself, without ceasing, pray. Uh, other English translations are faithful to this as well. The NIV says, pray continually. The New Living says, never stop praying. 
The message paraphrase says, pray all the time. It's pretty clear, right? There's not a lot of dispute or debate about these verses. Without ceasing, pray. Never stop praying. Pray all the time. Does this mean we walk through life constantly uttering and reciting formal prayers that we've memorized? Does it mean that we neglect all other responsibilities and activities and devote ourselves to prayer 24 hours a day? For the, ma the vast majority of us, no. Um, God might call you to be a monk. There's, there's always that possibility, but that's not the case for most of us. What Paul is saying here in 1 Thessalonians, saying to the Thessalonian believers and to us 2,000 years later, is that we need to develop a lifestyle of prayerfulness. It's a lifestyle of prayerfulness. This is unceasing prayer. Without ceasing, pray. We need to develop a lifestyle of unceasing prayer. He's encouraging us to learn to walk through our day so that Jesus is never far from our hearts and minds. In every situation we encounter, in every circumstance that comes our way, it becomes second nature to think of God, to call out to the Lord. And this becomes much easier to do when we realize how broad prayer really is. Sometimes we think of prayer and, and kind of segregate it to when we're in church or things that we, we've memorized and, and ritual, thing, things like that. But prayer is much more simple than that. Simply put, prayer is communicating with God, talking, listening, complaining, all the ways that we communicate. We've been given an immense privilege, the privilege of conversing with our Creator. And uh, J.I. Packer uh, put it like this. Knowing that God in heaven is our Father should increase our wonder, joy, and sense of privilege at being his children and being given the hotline of prayer for communication with him. For though he is Lord of worlds, we always have his full attention whenever we call on him. We always have his full attention when we call on him. Marvelous, Packer writes. But have we really taken it in? God wants to communicate with us. We're not bothering him. We're not annoying him. He is always as close as the mention of his name. His desire for us is unceasing prayer, that we grow in a lifestyle of prayerfulness. And in that spirit, and along those lines, I want to offer at the beginning of this new year three words that will transform your prayers. Three words that will transform your prayers. And if we adopt these three words into our daily lives, we'll soon notice that we have, in fact, stepped into a lifestyle of prayerfulness. And this lifestyle will empower us to follow Paul's admonition in his, in his bullet points to pray without ceasing. So three words to transform our prayers. Ready? First one is this. Help. <laughs> help. Like such a simple prayer full of so much meaning. Sometimes the most honest thing that we can say to God, the most honest thing we can pray to God is help. The reality of life in a fallen world is that we need God's intervention and assistance and comfort and provision in so many ways. When we're overwhelmed, when we're hurting, when we're confused, 
when we don't know where to turn or even what we need, simply asking for help is enough. It's comforting, isn't it? And amazing. God doesn't need and prayer doesn't require our most articulate and eloquent selves. And Jesus, as always, has great news. In in Matthew 6, 8, he tells us, your father knows exactly what you need even before you ask him. So we don't need formulas or rituals or itemized lists. God hears humble hearts calling out to him for help. God hears humble hearts calling out to him for help. In uh, John 15, Jesus says, I am the vine, you are the branches. Those who remain in me and I in them will produce much fruit. For apart from me, you can do nothing. Apart from me, you can do nothing. How humbling is that? In this context, Jesus is talking to his disciples about producing fruit. And scholars think that the word fruit here has two meanings. One is that fruit means disciples. The idea is that uh, when we remain in Jesus, when we abide in Jesus, when we learn unceasing prayer, then he gives us, his followers, the ability to produce even more followers. Disciples who make disciples who make disciples. That's one meaning of fruit. The second meaning of fruit is the righteous character that the Apostle Paul referred to in Galatians 5 as the fruit of the Spirit. Uh, we, We know this list, love, joy, peace, Patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. And Jesus says this fruit is out of our reach. The shelf is too high for us to get to. It's unattainable. It's impossible to achieve unless we abide in him. Apart from him, we can do nothing. So how do we abide in Jesus? How do we remain in him? One way is that we learn the practice of unceasing prayer. But if we're honest, even this seems out of our grasp, like this idea of unceasing prayer, just constantly going through your day with God always in mind. In his book, Prayer, Finding the Heart's True Home, Richard Foster writes, we today yearn for prayer and hide from prayer. We're attracted to it and repelled by it. We believe prayer is something we should do, even something we want to do, but it seems like a chasm stands between us and actually praying. We experience the agony of prayerlessness. And I think that resonates. So when we come face to face with this this contrast, our desire to pray up against our inability to do so, how do we respond? What do we do? We pray a single word, help. Help me to pray. Help me to face this day. Help me to find rest in you. Help me to sense your love and comfort and peace. Help me to discover the purpose you have for me. Help me to become the person you've created me to be. Help me to change where I need to change. Foster writes again, none of us will keep up up a life of prayer unless we're prepared to change. And this is what resolutions are all about, right? Change. He goes on, we will either give it up or turn it into a little system that maintains the form of godliness but denies the power of it. 
which is the same thing as giving it up. If we want to keep up a life of prayer, if we want to adopt a lifestyle of praying without ceasing, we must learn the simple prayer, help. Three words to transform our prayers. The first is help. The second word is thanks. We're familiar with the scriptures addressing gratitude and and thanksgiving, especially after Pastor Kevin's sermon series in November titled Heart of Gratitude. But a refresher of a couple of the verses the Apostle Paul writing in Ephesians chapter 5 said, And give thanks for everything to God the Father in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. 1 Thessalonians 5.18, Be thankful in all circumstances. Give thanks for everything Be thankful in all circumstances and situations. Again, there's not much dispute about these verses. There's a body of scientific evidence that shows that gratitude is good for us, physically and emotionally. Uh, The authors of a book called The Psychology of Gratitude point out that gratitude boosts the immune system, bolsters resilience to stress, lowers depression, increases feelings of energy, determination, and strength, and helps us sleep better at night. Like, that one right there is worth it. It's worth trying it, right? And even more, I believe that a posture of thankfulness, an attitude of gratitude, a practice of expressing our thanks to God will supercharge our spiritual formation. Saying thanks, praying thanks, shifts our focus off our problems and helps us to recognize where God is already working in our lives. He's always at work. We don't always recognize it. C.S. Lewis elaborates on the idea of giving thanks for everything. Because that's that's not in dispute. That's what the scripture says. C.S. Lewis writes in Mere Christianity, We ought to give thanks for all fortune. If it is good, because it is good. If bad, because it works in us. Patience, humility, and the contempt of this world and the hope of our eternal country. The bad things remind us that this world is not our home and help us not become too attached to it. We can turn our gratitude into prayer. Whenever we notice God's working in our lives, whenever we sense the presence of God, whenever we become aware of his gifts, we can turn that awareness into a simple prayer that says thanks. As we cultivate this discipline of noticing the work of God, and expressing our thanks to God in our daily lives, we're simultaneously teaching our spirit to pray without ceasing. So gratitude helps us to move in that direction that Paul put in his bullet list. But starting out, this might not be a natural prayer for us. And I don't don't think it, it is natural. We have to train ourselves to notice and then give thanks in the moment. We have to admit that sometimes the day gets away from us and we go from one circumstance to situation and responsibility to the next without much reflection at all. And if if that's your reality, I have a little tip I'd like to pass along to you. There's an ancient spiritual discipline known as the prayer of examen. It's a word we don't use in, in life, but it has the same root as exam or examination. The prayer of examen. And one aspect of the examen is to pause regularly and reflect on the period of time you've just come through, whether that's a day or a week. I know people who do this once a year and reflect on the past year. 
and bring to mind all of those moments that you can remember where you sensed God's presence or guidance or provision or blessing or grace of some kind. Where has God been working? And maybe as you're just getting started in this practice, you do this at the end of your day as part of your, your nighttime routine. You get into bed and you roll the tape of your day and look for those blessings. And then when you remember those moments, simply say thanks. Make gratitude your prayer. So three words to transform your prayer life. First is help, second is thanks, and the third is this, wow. Wow. By the way, I got these three words from uh, an author named Anne Lamott. She's a book by that name, um, Help, Thanks, and Wow. I haven't read the book, so I can't recommend it. <laughs> but I did. So it's not stealing because I gave her credit. <laughs> Third word is wow. If you follow Sam Galvin on Facebook, I, I haven't seen Sam yet this morning. If you follow Sam on Facebook, you'll notice that he likes to remind us occasionally that we live in a postcard. He'll have some picture of a family hike or just some amazing scene and just caption it by saying, we live in a postcard. We are surrounded by a truly stunning natural environment. If you grew up here or lived, uh, lived here for a while, maybe you've started to, to take this for granted. Can I just say this? Noticing and appreciating where we live can become a form of prayer. When we drive by the rock cut and see a, a bald eagle flying overhead and the lake is roaring, our wow becomes a prayer. When we take a hike or a, a run or a, a bike ride into the woods and we pause and take a sip of water and all we can hear are the birds and the breeze rustling the leaves, our prayer, our wow becomes a prayer. When we make it to Sunset Point at Presque Isle and watch the sun, remember the sun, wasn't it great? <laughs> Good memories. When you watch the sun descend behind, behind Hogback, our wow becomes a prayer. We don't worship nature, right? but we do worship the God who created the natural world for us to steward and enjoy. And walking through life with our eyes and ears open and our senses alert to the beauty around us, this becomes a prayer. In uh, Psalm chapter 15, King David writes, the heavens proclaim the glory of God. The skies display his craftsmanship. Day after day, they continue to speak. Night after night, they make him known. They speak without a sound or word. Their voice is never heard. Yet their message has gone through the, the earth and their words to all the world. Wow. What does the prayer of wow accomplish? It opens our eyes and hearts to awe and wonder and an awareness of the greatness and goodness of God. And the prayer of wow doesn't just apply to the natural world. Maybe you experience a breakthrough in a relationship that you thought was forever damaged, and God brings healing and restoration, and all you can say is wow. 
Maybe you've gone through the worst that life has to offer, a situation you thought you'd never recover from, and God somehow walks you through to the other side, and all you can say is, wow. Maybe you have the joy of watching a child enter this world or the heartbreak of a parent leave it. And the reality of life and death meets you face to face. And God grants you peace and comfort that you can't understand. And all you can say is, wow. Help, thanks, wow. Three words that will transform our prayers. If we learn them and incorporate them into our daily life, we'll soon discover that we have entered that mysterious zone called unceasing prayer. Without ceasing, pray, and we realize that we're there. Whenever we come to the realization of our lack, of our shortcomings, of our imperfections, we can pray to God for his help. Whenever our eyes are open to the work of God in the world, what he's doing in our lives, at this moment, we can declare to God our thanks. And whenever life amazes us, whenever the world causes us to sit up and wonder, and whenever words fail, we can pray, wow. Several years ago, I, I learned of a tool called the grid of application. Uh, it's a way to process a sermon, a, a chapter of scripture, a page in a devotional. The, the grid of application takes what we just heard or read or discussed and then helps us to consider how this information can be incorporated into real life. Uh, how do we take this from Sunday morning to Tuesday afternoon? So using this grid, I, I want to just walk us through it briefly. Um, we ask ourselves four questions, and as I ask them, I encourage you just in this moment to kind of just process through each one and see where the Holy Spirit might be working. So based on, this, this is how I ask, based on what I just heard, the first question, is there something I need to start believing? Is there something new here that the Spirit is stirring up? The second question, is there something I need to stop believing? Maybe I had some wrong idea about prayer that it has to be formal and ritualistic and in a certain place. Is there something I need to start doing? Maybe I sense the Holy Spirit saying, hey, help, thanks, wow, you can work that into your day. Fourth question, is there something I need to stop doing? And, and most of the time, one of these questions will prompt something, not, not necessarily all of them. But if we ask these questions, is there something I need to start believing or stop believing, start doing or stop doing, and we trust the voice of the Holy Spirit, he'll lead us into ways to apply what we've learned. So maybe the Spirit of God is, grow, is urging you to grow in this area of unceasing prayer. You can do so by learning to pray, help, thanks, and wow. You can learn to breathe these prayers as you walk through, the, through your day, or you can pray these prayers at the end of your day as you put your head on your pillow and reflect on God's activity in your life. My encouragement is that you simply start. To start somewhere. You will, you're not going to develop a lifestyle of unceasing prayer overnight, but small actions taken week by week over time will grow into habits. And before you know it, you will be 
you will have embodied Paul's admonition in 1 Corinthians chapter 10. This is verse 31. He writes, whatever you do, do it all for the glory of God. Paul's telling us that all of life, even the mundane, can become a prayer and an act of worship. I'll close with a story from uh, Richard Foster's book, Prayer, The Heart's True Home, Finding the Heart's True Home, where he refers to this idea of, uh, he refers to this as praying the ordinary. How do we walk through life and take these ordinary, seemingly mundane activities and make them a prayer? And this is what Foster writes. I came into a fuller understanding of this council when, as a teenager, I was privileged to spend one summer among the indigenous people of Kotzebue, Alaska. The indigenous Christians I met there had a deep sense of the wholeness of life with no break between their prayer and their work. I had come to Kotzebue on the adventure of helping to build the first high school above the Arctic Circle, but the work itself was far from an adventure. It was hard, backbreaking labor one day, I was trying to dig a trench for a sewer line, no small task in a world of frozen tundra. An indigenous man whose face and hands displayed the leathery toughness of many winters came by and watched me for a while. Finally, he said simply and profoundly, you are digging a ditch to the glory of God. He said it to encourage me, I know, and I've never forgotten his words. Beyond my indigenous friend, no human being ever knew or cared whether I dug that ditch well or poorly. In time, it was to be covered up and forgotten. But because of my friend's words, I dug with all my might. For every shovel full of dirt was a prayer to God. Even though I did not know it at the time, I was attempting in my small and unsophisticated way to do what the great artisans in the Middle Ages did when they carved the backside of a piece of art, knowing that God alone would see it. May our words and our work become a prayer to God. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for the privilege of gathering in your name and for the promise that you'll bless us with your presence when we do come together. And we thank you for the sweet sense of your presence among us this morning. We thank you that you know what we need even before we ask. We thank you for hearing our prayers even when all we can say is help, thanks, and wow. So as we go about our week, as we go about our new year, we ask that you bless us with an awareness of your presence, a sense of your love for us, and the passion to share that love with those around us. And we pray in the name of Jesus. Amen.